This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi o Natangata o Manawatu. It is a Thursday morning. We turn our attention to all things local government. And today on the phone, Mayor of Manawatu, uh, Her Worship Mayor Helen Warboys at a Marie Helen. Good morning, Fraser. Good morning. Uh, well, you say good morning, but I gather that uh, almost the consensus around councils around the country is that it, it's not not a great time. Um, Nanai Mahuta has mandated the three waters reform and uh, councils are express, expressing their displeasure in a number of ways. What's happening in Manawatu? Uh, absolutely, you've got that summed up correctly. There's 67 councils in the country, of which only six or seven support the government's preferred model. The rest of us are saying no way. Um, but more importantly, it's about the promises and the trust that we had with government. That's just gone out the window. They, you know, they promised to work with us. They gave us eight weeks to uh, have a look at the information. They said, don't consult with your community. We'll do that later. Uh, fortunately, we did some engagement with our community. So, you know, all of that's just absolute rubbish. Um, it's, they've overturned it. They obviously had that in mind right from the start. Uh, so that the opportunity now is pushback. The pushback needs to come from the communities around the country. Uh, we're already uh, talking and leading out of conversations with councils around the country that we know are opposed to the, the government's model. Uh, we're just working on putting a campaign strategy together, and once we're ready to go, the country will hear from us. So what is the principal issue now? Because uh, a lot of people see the narrative that this would provide consistent drinking water across the country. We'd have standards uh, that would be the same from Northland to to Invercargill. Um, And that all sounds quite appealing from a, a, a layman's standpoint. Are you upset because you have not been engaged with? Are you upset because we're going to be out of pocket? Uh, or are you upset because these responsibilities are being taken away? Um, we, we totally support the need for a, a water regulator. The Tomata ROI that's been set up, 100% support that. That's what this country has been missing for decades. Some national standards that every council, every community in the country has had to reach. Our beef is that we can achieve what we want without government taking away the assets that belong to the ratepayers. Because there are councils who, for whatever reasons, have underinvested and need support to get to what we now will have as new standards. So the government can support them. We're not saying don't support them, but we're saying our ratepayers have invested well in the Manawatu district, so why should we be cross-subsidising other councils and the ownership and decision-making for the future of our three waters be taken out of our hands. We can achieve the goal of what even the government wants, which is quality drinking water with standards. We can do that. 
But the government, for whatever reason, is insistent that they must control this. They must take it off us. And that's what's made people suspicious. They're going, what is going on here in the background? This debate has become more than just about achieving quality water standards. And also remember, you know, that New Zealand has held, we're in the top 10 in the world for quality water. And, and, you know, while we can always do better, you have to put it in perspective. How many people die from drinking contaminated water versus the number of people that die on our roads, who get cancer, who, you know, all of the dramas, all of the other things that go on in life, we actually have to put this in perspective. And I'm really angry about the, the way the announcement was done. A, the Prime Minister wasn't even there, has not come out and said anything about it. And there was no acknowledgement at all of any councils in New Zealand who are doing a good job. And that's that they're just assuming that we're all in the same boat. We don't have green slime and frogs coming out of our taps. And most councils in New Zealand don't either. In fact, I would say all. Oh, yes, some of us have some problems, but that's around how do we fund that to meet the new standards. And we can do that smarter. Is, is I mean... I wonder if it is helpful to say what's going on behind closed doors at government. What is this signalling? Is it not a case that instead of the individual piecemeal helping the councils that can't do it themselves, which is clunky and sets precedent for increased expense over future terms and, and decades, is it not better to have a model where everything is, ad- is administered in the same way uh, and, 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 and in a more consistent way? If, if that, that strikes me as a more efficient process for government rather than, as, as you suggest, letting the councils that can do it do it and then having to assist the ones that can't and seeing those change from you know, year to year. Well, the, the, the realisation is that one size doesn't fit all. Every, every community in New Zealand is different. We all have different, different levels of where we're up to with our infrastructure. And like I said, we needed some national standards, which thankfully we now have, finally. So we know what we're aiming for. And, and also some of the information that the government's put out, you really have to question it. The modelling they did and gave back to um, councils saying that it's going to need $185 billion to get us all up to speed. You know, it's nonsense. And councils across the country have been allocating funds in their asset management plan and long-term plans to deal with this. So, you know, to, and, and the other problem is that why three waters first? You know, it's hardly priority. We've got the RMA reform. We've got the future of local government reform. You would have thought that a, a sensible government would have said, OK, Let's talk to the communities about what do you want councils to look like and do in the future. Then when we've sorted that out, go, okay, so what do we need to shift, change, etc.? But no, for whatever reason, they've decided to pick on three waters as well, the first one. I mean, that, that, that kind of does make sense, though, because the, the, it is in the national discourse on a regular basis with, you know, sewage pipes blowing up in Wellington, uh, E. coli in Hawke's Bay. I, I mean, a government should be dealing with these public health issues as a matter of priority over perhaps something like RMA, which, yes, RMA is, is a very broken beast, but it is still limping along, and people have not died or got ill from RMA being ineffective. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. While you say that, how many people die on our roads because government won't invest in roads? And government has a very good working system with councils on roading. They subsidise councils according to deprivation and population rates. They subsidise roading. So why can't we talk about doing this for three waters? So that the asset remains with the community who have paid for them and own them and the government subsidises and supports councils to get to it. We do it with roading. Why can't we do it with three waters? Why is the need to, to for the government to control everything? Mm. Uh, just on that, that, that notion of, of ownership, I mean, Nanaya Mahuta said the bottom line was that public ownership would would still be uh, paramount, that that wouldn't change. You and I are obviously fairly, well, you're far more involved in, in the democracy of our country. I like to observe it from afar. Um, most people, I think it would be fair to say, don't know how their water is treated, don't know who's in charge of it, just pay their rates and and taxes and get on with life. For the most part, do you think there would be significant public uproar from the ground if the ownership or at least the maintenance of these assets simply shifted from their rates to their taxes? Well, it's not really about that. The, the government say we still own this. That's absolutely nonsense if you look at the de- legal definition of ownership. But I'll put it simply. You own your house. You've, got, you've paid off your house. You, you look after it. You maintain it. And the government comes along and says, yes, you still own your house, but you do not have any decisions. And you have no input now into what happens to your house, how it's maintained, how it's looked after. And by the way you also have to help pay for the costs and upkeep of your neighbour's house. That's exactly the same as what's happening here. So is that okay? I'm sure the average person, the average ratepayer, and I agree with you, until things go wrong, uh, most ratepayers just turn the tap on and the water comes out. But we certainly hear from them when things go wrong. And they elect people in their communities to lead and they trust those people to do the right thing. So, you know, you have to actually look at what this is all about. What is this ownership thing all about? And if you're taking assets off ratepayers, there needs to be compensation. Okay, um, we are here with Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council on the catch-up this morning. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Talking three waters uh, with Mayor Helen Warboys. Um, just um, staying on that topic a little bit, Helen, I mean, the, 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 the focus has been around drinking water for the most part but three waters reform also refers to stormwater and wastewater as well Manawatu District Council is pretty much on top of these matters at the moment aren't we there's not going to be any there's no projected capital expense to fix any of this it's all been done no, I wouldn't say that at all. We have a, a program, our asset management plans cover the next 30 years. Uh, we do have the Fielding Wastewater Treatment Plant, which has had a $35 million investment. Um, we're in the middle of our centralisation project, bringing all of our six, six villages, bringing their wastewater back to Fielding. That's about being innovative. You know, would that have happened if we'd been having to go cap in hand to the head office for our entity, whether it be Wellington, Gisborne, certainly won't be fielding. 
Uh, and, you know, some of the growth work that we're doing needs infrastructure in three waters. Uh, so that needs budgeting to do that. Every community is different about where they're at. So, yes, we have done a lot of work and we are planning and doing a lot of work at the moment. Uh, and you have to remember that the DIA went round every council in New Zealand and gathered our information, what we're currently doing, the state of our infrastructure, and they said that the Manawatu District Council, that free water infrastructure exceeds expectation. Very good. Um, so you said that the, the, the only uh, sort of recourse now is to push back on this. Um, what have LGNZ decided to do? Because obviously the last time we spoke, um, you were talking about uh, tabling uh, a motion to leave LGNZ. Uh, not you, one of the other councillors had tabled that motion. Uh, but it actually, I think it transpired that you called for the resignation of the leadership of LGNZ. Well, interesting how the media um, put the headline out there. We didn't ask for the resignation at all. We did have a motion on the table from one of our councillors for us to consider withdrawing our membership from LGNZ in protest at what's happened. Uh, that was lost, 7-4. Uh, another, an amended motion was then put that we, have a, we agree on a vote of no confidence in the leadership of LGNZ over the three waters issue. And that was carried 10-1. So it wasn't about asking for resignations or anything like that. It was just saying we have a vote of no confidence. So what it means is that local government New Zealand, without asking its members, signed ahead of agreement with the government back in July. And one of the clause four in that head of agreement says that they would not oppose the government's reform. So that means that LDNZ cannot represent those member councils like ours who are opposed to the government's reform model. So, so you... once, we found, once we found this out, that we said to local government New Zealand, well, you can't represent us anymore on this topic, So, which is why we're now talking to those councils who think like ours and going, well, we've got to do something because LDNZ can't and won't do it for us. So have other councils voted uh, or, or put forward a vote of no confidence in LGNZ? I mean, is this the end of LGNZ? Oh, absolutely not. We, we, we're at this stage, we are happy to be members of LGNZ. But, you know, Three Waters is one very small part of what they do. The local government New Zealand do some good stuff. But in this case, they got it wrong. To sign a heads of agreement uh, with the government without asking its members first and, and the... LGNZ have apologised. They realised they got this wrong. They thought they were doing the right thing in the interest of government. But as it's turned out, uh, LGNZ were just used by the government to get the outcome that the government wanted. So um, you are pushing back. I assume you will fall short of uh, standing with a sign calling the government uh, commies, uh, unlike, sadly, Tararua (laughs) got caught doing the other day. Well, there's been some, you know, I've seen some T-shirts from the really simple, uh, nice wording that says, take your hands off our three waters, uh, through to T-shirts that saying, lying, deceitful bastards, you know, which is what the headlines we saw in the newspaper. So, you know, there are people that are very angry. And I, my phone and emails have been going red hot saying, what are we doing? In fact, I had a 105-year-old uh, young man in my office yesterday uh, saying, come on, you have to do something. And I was very pleased to say to him, we are. 
There we go. Uh, let's move on to slightly happier things. Uh, even though our region is in alert level two, you are still managing to do some stuff. For example, a citizenship ceremony. Yeah, look, I think it's really important. We've got this COVID stuff going on and uh, we, we all need to, uh, you know, follow the rules with masking and distancing. But the community, the well-being of our community is really important. People need to be able to connect with each other. They need to celebrate. And so, yes, we went ahead, like our community honours, we went ahead with our citizenship ceremony and uh, followed all the rules. Everyone was masked up and distanced. And we had 17 residents who uh, received their New Zealand status. So it was absolutely great. It was a lovely, intimate ceremony with their families. And, uh, yeah, and it's, you know, we really need that at this time. We also, just this week, had our Young Achievers Awards. We split the, the youth councillors. We said, well, how are you going to do it under the restrictions? They split it into two, and we ran, we, we ran for an hour uh, some of the schools, and then we kicked it in again for another hour and ran the rest of the schools. It was absolutely great. And, you know, this is what communities need. We need to still connect. We need to find ways to do it rather than just saying, oh, no, it's too hard, we're not going to. I mean, this is rapidly becoming the new normal, and we're being told that even when we move into the uh, the traffic light system, uh, if and when the, the country gets to 90% vaccination status, uh, there is still going to be uh, difficult things to do. Will the council be doing the um, vaccination certificate thing when we move to the, the traffic light system? So, you know, access to the library or the swimming pools would be... Uh, you would need... The the double vac certification to gain access? Yeah, absolutely. We're just uh, following through. The, the problem, again, with the government is, you know, last week, if you looked on the different department websites, there were three different... We looked up three different websites, three different lots of information and instructions about what you do. We need some consistent information for businesses, communities and councils and, and people just doing their day-to-day lives. We need consistent information about how this is going to work. The anxiety in the community is about, we're not sure, you know, we hear this, we hear that. Um, But yes, our pool and our library, at being public facilities, will have to follow those rules. Very good. Um, Tell us about Kofi Park and the the playground, Helen. Uh, This is another exciting project that's coming to fruition. Uh, We recently had iwi, uh, local Ngāti Kofata, came and did the blessing for the new Kofi Park playground. Unfortunately, the weather hasn't helped us and we're still trying to get concrete set and, and some of the paths finalised, but um, we were determined to at least get the opening underway. So the next step is, uh, once we have that those pathways all in place and nice and dry, is being able to open that up to the community. Um, it's been an outstanding uh, community effort with local businesses and some of the innovation, it's not just a playground, it's, there's a whole lot of thought gone into how it connects with the environment around it. We've got the Marquino stream, the bush, uh, etc., all that all surround Kofi Park. So it, we've got the touches of environmental right through the theme of the playground. 
Marvellous. Um, you, you mentioned the, the Makino stream, and it, it reminds me of that the, the Makino precinct, which is forming part of the sort of town centre refresh uh, submission process and feedback process that you're undergoing at the moment, because there's some fairly exciting plans for that area, or at least suggestions, nothing set in stone at the moment. Um, but I was uh, reading through it the other day, and um, proposals for housing in the land next to the library, which I thought was interesting. Well, it's just that, you know, as you rightly say, it is a concept. Uh, it's about how do we how do we refresh the town centre to make it vibrant and attractive for people to um, have businesses to come into, to socialise and also to live. And this is, you know, with the push for people away from cars and more walking and people want to be closer to facilities and council do own that land beside the library. So it's about what do we do with it? Is there an opportunity to put it into you know, some upmarket townhouses and that would give us some revenue to then help with some of the other projects that we want to do. So, and, and not just beside the library, even in the, you know, our two-storey buildings in the town centre, we're wanting to hear people's views about people living upstairs in those buildings in the town centre. And for my mind, you know, it makes really good sense to do that. It creates a nice, safe environment. You've got people who would be feel free to wander around 24-7. Uh, hospitality businesses benefit from it. But also it puts a social lens on what our town centre is for. Yeah, I mean, as as a fairly frequent visitor to Fielding, I I, I quite like Fielding the way it is. Is there is there sufficient public opinion that it needs updating or changing? Well, we're not talking about major work, and you know, you recall when we did the revitalisation back in the early nineteen nineties, we had to uh, we had to upgrade all of the underground services infrastructure, etc., which was done then. So that was a very costly process that we did in stages, but it's about tweaking what we've already got. I totally agree with you. You know, we have a nice-looking town centre. We've now got building owners investing in earthquake strengthening in their buildings, so we'll start to see, you know, the buildings getting a coat of paint and being fresh, um, and, you know, businesses want it. It's all about making, giving confidence to people that they want to be in the town centre. But for me, it's also about using the town centre more, and I'm talking more from a social point, of people connection point of view. Like imagine in the square if we had um, infrastructure where anybody could come in and plug in their guitars or their keyboards or whatever, and uh, whether it's a formal event or just informally get together uh, in the square. It's a just adding some touches just to make it more people-friendly. It's exciting that you say that you've got some building owners uh, doing the earthquake strengthening now because I remember there's been numerous times in the catch-up over the, the past few years, Helen, where we've touched on the, the topic of earthquake strengthening and, and you were concerned that some building owners may simply walk into your customer service centre, dump their keys on the table and say, your problem, I can't do it, particularly because if they do any work to the building, that kicks off the stopwatch uh, for, I think it was seven years, to have all the work completed. But some people are biting the bullet now, it seems. Well, the clock is ticking. So, you know, um, our council decided, I, I didn't support it, that um, to reduce the time frame the government gave us in half, or seven and a half years. And what has made the difference to this community is that we were very fortunate to... Um, 
be put in touch with Seismic Performance, a company based in Auckland, uh, who originally came from uh, San Francisco, who came to New Zealand to help building owners with earthquake-prone buildings. And uh, so we got um, Arthur involved here in council. We held meetings with the building owners. He talked about his approach, and his approach is common sense. Uh, you know, traditional engineers and even some of the rules that we have around, uh, he's found challenging because his, his his approach is that businesses do not need to leave their premises to have their buildings up earthquake strengthened. They do their business nine till five, and his team walks in from five o'clock, works overnight, and then the business is back open at nine o'clock in the morning. So, and he has different uh, techniques. He uses carbon fibre a lot rather than the traditional one of you know those big, big bold and very ugly uh, metal bracing that we see on buildings. So. You know, um, I'm really delighted about where we've got to with this. We have 12 buildings consented and we've got three completed. There's a number being worked on at the moment and there are a number of other buildings and building owners who are working through that process as well. So this is great and, and that's why the town centre refresh is so important. We've got the private investment going on, we've got the confidence building and then council needs to also do our bit about making sure the infrastructure and the vibrancy of the town centre works. Very good. We are here with Mayor Helen Warboys on the catch-up, looking at what's happening in Manawatu District. We've got a couple of minutes left, Helen, enough time to talk about the Cactus Youth Programme. This is something that's been going for two or three years now. Uh, I I believe the pandemic has had an impact on some of its more recent uh, scheduled programmes, but uh, we're bringing it back, are we, for 2021, 2022? Absolutely, yes, we had to finally cancel, we postponed and then made the decision to cancel the Term 3 programme. So we had 30 uh, students who had only halfway completed their course. We had a breakfast for them last week and just said, look guys, this is life throws curveballs, this is part of learning how to deal with them. Um, We will have another course, we've set the dates for February next year. We are open for applications at the moment for young people who live in the Manawatu district 14 to 17 years old, can apply to be considered or selected for the Term 1 Cactus course next year. Marvellous. Uh, and just a reminder how they, how they do that. Do they just get in touch with the, the service centre or is there a website? Uh, there is a, On the council website you'll find the application form. Fielding High School Office have the application form or at the police station. And just just remind us, I mean, the, the, the outcomes of the Cactus Programme are starting to speak for themselves, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. We're starting to see young people who went through the programme, you know, we're in our fourth year now, so we're starting to see these young people leaving school and moving on in their lives, but they're still staying connected with us, um, and a number of them come back and actually help mentor the new students in their courses, and So this is really about giving young people the skills, both mentally and physically, to make really good decisions in life. And, you know, they go on to be uh, future employees in our community, um, leaders in our community and potentially the country. Marvellous. Mayor Helen Warboys, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Back tomorrow with Tangi Utakeri, MP for Palmerston North. Bye for now. 
If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.